the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome to AV Nation TV's Connected. I'm your host, David Danto. Um, I, th- I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this show so far. We've been chatting with our guests in advance, and we've already been having a lot of fun. Um, uh, the topic on this one is a little bit different than our usual ones, because I'm really not going to talk very much, or I don't, would prefer we don't talk very much about the technology that exists. I have people that I consider industry visionaries on the chat with me right now, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in a moment. And I really want to talk about the future of collaboration. How do we get it to the point so that the person who is home participating in class or in a meeting or whatever um, has the same experience, equality, parity with the people that are in the classroom or in the office meeting room or wherever it is. We've come a long way. We're a lot better than we ever were before, but we still have a bit of a way to go. So uh, I'd like my, my guests to introduce themselves and we can kind of talk about and speculate where we're going with this. So Carolina, you're the first name on my list. Please introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do. Thank you for having me. It's going to be an exciting conversation and very timely as people figure out what is going to come next. Uh, and I sure hope that it's not going to be going back to how things were before. Uh, I'm Carolina Milanesi. I'm a principal analyst at Creative Strategies. I've been uh, looking at the technology market for longer than I want to admit, because when you figure out how old I am. I'm also the founder of Heart Attack, um, a company that focuses a lot on uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility, uh, diversity and inclusion, sustainability, all the things that really go back to uh, making a difference to the employees and to um, social justice and, and equity. And so the conversation today is, you know, encompassing all of that. Terrific, Carolyn. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and thank you very much for joining us. David, you're the next one on my list, one of the other people here that doesn't want to admit how old they are. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? <laughs> exactly. And another fellow David as well, too. So I am David Mario Smith, actually, and uh, I am from Influanalysis, uh, founder and principal analyst. And so, Mike, I pretty much cover the digital workplace, but really looking at how technology enables people to uh, get their jobs done. So I, I covered the gamut from HR tech to collaboration and then how this collaboration enable, you know, whether it's HR sales, marketing and so forth. So looking at the people experience as well as how that also impacts the customer experience as well. David, thank you very much. And I, and I know you know this, but I, I don't know if everybody does. The scientific term for a group of Davids is called a genius, just, just in case you're curious about that. I've always had to explain to people. Ira, you're next on my list. Always welcome to have you here. Tell us about yourself, Ira. Sure, thanks for having me. So I'm Ira Weinstein. I'm with Recon Research. I'm the lead analyst there. And for, I'll admit it, for about 30 years, I've been focused on AV technology, conferencing technology, collaboration, we love tools, technologies, and methods that bring people together. And COVID has changed the rules. It's changed the expectations. It's changed the spending patterns, the work patterns. So I am psyched for this discussion, and thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Ira. Um, and last, but certainly not least on my list, a guest we've never had before, but someone I've admired for many years, Sean Dubarak. I'm sure I've pronounced your name incorrectly. Why don't you tell everybody the right way to pronounce it and tell everybody what you're doing nowadays? Oh, you had it right, David. It's Sean Dubravac. I am uh, the, the CEO of a boutique research firm called Avrio Institute. Uh, prior to that, I spent about a, a decade with the Consumer Technology Association as their chief economist. So uh, really uh, as a kind of a key spokesperson and, and analyst for CES. So I spent a, a lot of time around this as well. Thank you for joining us. And I, I, like I said, I'm really looking forward to this chat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it from a simple perspective that everybody, hopefully, that's a geek that's watching our show can really appreciate, is if we go to the Star Wars movie and we movies, the various <laughs> ones, including the prequels, and we think about how the Jedi Council meets. When they're in person, they're all sitting in a big circle in a room with a fire pit in the middle, barbecuing weenies or whatever. Um, but when they're not there, they've got a hologram of themselves in the chair they would have been in if they were there. Everybody can see what they're doing, how they're acting. The, they can look to their left and right when they're distant and see what's actually going on to their left and right. If we consider that nirvana, in our space, if we consider that perfection in terms of a remote and local experience combined, on a scale of one to 10, where do you think we are now? 
Um, how far have we come? Obviously, the pandemic has pushed a lot of technology here. But, you know, w- would you think that we're like at an eight and there's only a little bit more to go? Or would you think we're more like at a three and we've got a lot of developments? So so anybody want to go on this one? Go just jump right in. And everybody's going to be polite. So I'm going to go. <laughs> we're waiting for you. I, I'm curious to actually hear. Ira, because, um, you know, as you said, it's, it's been covering this for so long, but it seems to me that for a really long time, we haven't done a lot, right? And and it's amazing because I don't think it was because the technology wasn't there. I think it's because people just didn't care. Um, and so on the scale, I don't think we are a three. We're definitely not an eight. So I would say we're probably a six right now. Um, And if I put on the interest and the culture side of the equation, not just the technology, I think we're still like a four. Uh, I don't think that generally people are given the human aspect of collaboration, the attention that it deserves. So let me jump in. Um, I guess the first thing I'm going to do is push back on David a little bit. I'm going to say I'm not sure that is Nirvana. It is a way of meeting, it is a possibility, but if we're focusing on content and collaboration, that might not be the right way to meet. If we're focusing on, you know, different, if it's a presentation, that might not be the right way to meet. So I'm, I'm with Carolina that we're probably in the five to six, but I think the best way of meeting, the best way of, of connecting, depends on the use case, depends on the company, depends on the culture. Uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that we're there yet. I'm simply saying that there's a lot of different nirvanas, if you will, for meeting rooms. David, I, would, I was going to just add, you know, you, your view of nirvana is the physical space hasn't changed. So you've got holograms that are now filling up that physical space. And I don't think that is going to be the nirvana for any corporation that's going to have part of their workforce remote. They don't want to dedicate the real estate to to uh, holograms. So I think we are going to be in this hybrid environment where you've got people in person and you've got people who are remote, but we're going to think about the real estate different. And at the same time, I think we are going to go back to the office in some form. There are going to be people who are going to self-select, especially in urban markets where they may not want to be in their 900 square foot apartment all day long and all night long, they're going to want to go to the office. So I think uh, you know, we're going to have a, a, a mixed environment, but the, the, I think the focus is going to be what that real estate starts to look like when we are in person and how we take advantage of technology to augment that real estate. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I sort of agree. I think we're at that sort of that, you know, five, six mid-range point. And I mean, we haven't, we haven't even figured out AR, VR yet, right? And we've been promising that for a while. And so that wasn't ready for us during the pandemic. And you know? so <laughs> I think, you know, that, that idea of Nirvana is going to probably be a mix of, you know, wh- wh- whatever you choose, you know, whether it's hybrid, you know, some, some at home, uh, uh, some remote, whatever, but also it's going to be like, you know, what are we are going to be doing from a cultural standpoint? So I think culturally, you know, intentionally sort of making the environment more collaborative is going to be probably the key. Okay, those are all good points. So I'm, I'm going to kind of take a step back for a minute, and I'm going to talk to you about some, uh, very briefly, about some experiences that I had, you know, maybe a decade ago, maybe two decades ago, when we were talking about this collaboration. Um, I can certainly remember um, hooking up my first ISDN call, 2B plus D, you know, um, uh, maybe uh, maybe times three, if I could get it all the way up to, you know, 384 or whatever we were dealing with. I can remember having a conversation um, at one of the large financial services companies with the managing director trying to show carpet samples of how we were going to build out the office in Tokyo with at least a 10 second delay in when the question is asked and when the response comes in if we could hear it at all i remember clunky remotes i have a few of them behind me picking up having to try and move cameras around the room so i will acknowledge how far the collaboration space has moved um, and some tremendous changes that we're dealing with right now we now we now have as a reality not completely across the board but as a reality we have systems that are smart enough to know when to start a call and they're smart enough to know who to call and maybe using a smartphone or or or, or voice control or some combination 
information, that stuff actually works today. We don't have to pick up a remote anymore to move cameras. Cameras are smart enough to understand who's talking and what shot to get. So, so we've started to move people away from having to interact with the technology and starting to, to have technologies that are smart enough to know what they should be doing. And we're getting really good at machine learning and AI. I'll, I'll give you a pass, David, on the uh, AR and VR, because I still think that's a solution looking for a problem. But, but, but separately, I, I do think we've made a lot of steps. Putting you guys on the spot, and this is a short term on the spot, what's the next thing? What's, what, what can we expect in the next 12 to 18 months that's going to be the next step ahead or the leap ahead? By the way, no wrong answers here. I will be playing this back in a year from now to see which ones of you are right and wrong. But separate from that, nobody's going to remember. So, so speculate. Where, where do you think we're going? <laughs> let, me, let me jump in on that, right? I think there are a lot of right answers to this one, but I think one that we're hearing from a lot of our end-user clients is people are coming back to the meeting room slowly but surely, and the remote people are complaining about people in the room and saying they can't see them well, they don't feel connected. They want people to go back to their desks. So I think we're going to have to take the meeting room to the next level and to make sure that people get the same experience, whether they're in the room or on their laptop. Yeah, and I think if you look back pre-pandemic, if you were remote and you were calling in to a meeting, you called in. It was an audio-only feature for the most part. I mean, there there definitely was some video features, but I think a lot of it was we, we called in and, and audio was sufficient. I think one of the things that's accelerated in this pandemic is that we want to see people, we want to be on video, and we want other people to be on video as well. And so I think that's where those conference rooms are really going to have to st step up. It isn't enough to just broadcast what's happening in the conference room out which is what the old model really focused on, but also bringing in all of those remote workers into that conference room. So we're gonna need a lot more displays and, and a lot more intuitiveness when it comes to, to navigating that meeting. Yeah, and that's a great point. We've all been in meetings um, where, 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 where we're chatting back and forth in the room, and then the moderator or the host in the room says something like, all right, everybody be quiet here. We haven't heard from the people on the line. We want to give them a chance to talk. That is just not going to fly anymore after this year, year and a half experience that we've been having. People will expect to be able to contribute 100%. Right, because in the past, people who were remote were simply the remote folks. There was a reason they're remote, because they weren't critical enough to be in the space, in with the team. That's no longer the case. Remote people may be the most strategic, the most you know, significant contributor. The fact that they're remote is irrelevant now. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I want to like, push it's, back. It's no more treating people as, yeah, it's, it's, it's no more treating people as second-class citizens, right? It's like, and I think companies are going to have to figure out how to sort of have a cultural shift. The same way we had a cultural shift, you know, going remote, right? How do you then now make sure that remote folks are, are, are going to be engaged? You know, it, it used to be said before, right? You know, if you weren't in a room, then you weren't in a room. You know, that sort of notion has to, you know, now give words like, no, let's engage everyone, maybe rotate, you know, host for meetings and so forth so that everyone has a chance to, to contribute. Well, I wanted to push back on the the comment about um, you know people that were remote were not important. I I don't think that was the case, um, and certainly now you're going to have more people being remote, even if it's just a couple of days a week. Um, and so there's no distinction. I understand. I think what Ira meant that mentally that's how we thought about those people, right? If they're not in the office, they don't matter. And that's the, the culture aspect of this that we need to solve. Um, you know, for people not to have FOMO about the office, I need to feel that I'm as important wherever I am, right? I need to feel that I get the same opportunity. And I, the, the biggest, uh, I think, uh, kind of innovation that you started to have, and, and Cisco already started talking about it from a WebEx perspective, so is, is a platform point of view, not necessarily a camera point of view. But there are other companies, there's a startup that started to talk about it in a different way, is I still want to have that rectangle. It doesn't matter that there are seven people in a room. I don't want to see the room. I want to see the people. Because if we all the same, first of all, I feel I have the same seat at the table than everybody else, right? And then I don't miss on facial clues and body clues that I would miss on that wide angle view of the, of the room. And you can go to it in different ways, right? You can have one feed that gets split. 
And so you see the individual views or others are trying to manipulate the sound, which is the biggest problem, right? If we seven of us go into a room with our own PCs, we can't all do it because the sound would be a mess, right? So there are companies that are able to manipulate the sound and as a startup that does that um, so that you don't have echoes and you don't have issues and it's one feed from a both from a from a camera because you're using your laptop camera and uh, the sound. So I think that, you know, technology wise, we are already thinking about the problem. I think culture wise, not everybody is. I, I think that's a great point. I think there's a technical piece that we need to solve and then there's a cultural piece. And while the technology might work across companies, every company is going to have their own culture and they're going to have to define what they want. I think there, there are a lot of unique things we've discovered over the last year as we've moved all of our meetings essentially virtual is the the linear nature that's imposed on a virtual meeting and that doesn't exist in the same way when you're in person so when you have these hybrid meetings how are you going to navigate some of those some of those cultural dynamics and even like you know when you have a camera on and when you don't have a camera on it seems like we we all jump on calls not knowing sh for sure whether the camera's going to be on whether the camera's going to be off and every company has their own unique culture that they're that they're exerting uh, a force on those type of decisions. But there's another angle to this too, right? We have to remember that the users want to be users. They don't want to be video engineers or AV engineers. Absolutely. Start talking about, look at that camera while leaning left a little while working on your laptop, it becomes an unnatural act. And we have a lot of technology that can do a lot of things. I mean, I've been in $400,000 meeting rooms with more cameras than I want to think about, and they don't use them. They don't use the room because the room is too hard to use. So for every advancement we make, we have to realize there's a user who doesn't want to deal with that advancement and just wants an experience. So there's a there's a headwind there that we have to deal with somehow. And I think that's what we- because... Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that's what we've discovered in the last year is how easy it is to sit in front of our computer, hit a link and immediately be entered into the meeting or entered into into the conference session. And so we want that same experience when we move into a physical conference room. We want to easily be able to pull other people in uh, almost in an ad hoc way, send them a quick link, they can join, and then we can have them be part of that conversation. So I think in order to really make this hybrid environment work, we, gotta, we, we have to have that same capability that we have today. Yeah, so I was going to add to the point that Ira okay. just made about the uh, the room and you know not being engineering. Um, that the interesting thing is also if you remember when we were in this kind of hybrid environment, because I don't know about you, but I've been working remote for forever. Um, the room was always the one that was the last one to connect, right? Either the sound wasn't working yeah. or the video wasn't working. And that's the time, not that it's just frustrating because it feels like a waste of time, but that's the time where in the room conversations happen that the person that is remote is not part of, right? So there is both the frustration and then the fact that you're already starting setting up that disparity between the people that are there mm -hmm. and the ones who are not. All right, so let me yeah. um, let, let me take a pause there and summarize. Oh, David, you want to make one point, and then I'll, I'll, no, no, I'll kind yeah, of bring it, us to another thing. Yeah, no, sure, yes. I was just going to sort of uh, follow on to what uh, Carolina was saying, and, and you're right. I think if we begin to sort of rethink the whole meeting experience thing, right, you know, like what do people actually want in a meeting, right, and then sort of make sure that the meetings are sort of contoured to how people actually want to meet, whatever that meeting is. And so even from, from a provider's point of view, you know, even the featured uh, disparity between, say, an event type of module versus a regular meeting type module, you know, like some of those features from, from the event stuff may need to be also incorporated within a regular meeting stuff and more interactivity. So we have to sort of figure out also from a, the tech point, but also the uh, the cultural and the actual experience uh, aspect as well. Okay, I'm going to summarize this, I think, and, and, and take us sort of in a different direction as we continue to speculate about this. But we've made some excellent points, and I really do want to make sure that I'm nailing them here. The first point is we now, in the short term, in the next 12 to 18 months, we've experienced technology in meetings that's easy. And we need to port that over, especially when we're going to get into the culture shock of going back to an office for the first time. However, that office is redesigned. There are going to be more remote people, more rooms, more systems need to be equipped. And we're going to need to have it be as easy as possible to join. 
got that 100%. We're also going to want to have some control over the views. It's not enough to look at a bowling alley. It's not enough to look at just the speaker. We're going to need to want to, if I want to see everybody, see everybody so I can look at the body language. If I want to focus on the speakers, I'm going to want to have that ability to do that. As we were setting up our call to record today, everybody wanted to have a different kind of view so that they would be comfortable. It's going to be more of doing that. I think, and, and the other piece of that is all of that, as Ira pointed out, needs to happen without user intervention. If it needs an operator, we've lost the point. It needs to be something where the systems are smart enough to do all of this with the way we need them to do. And we're actually at that inflection point with bandwidth, as I said, with AI and machine learning and the rest of it, where we're starting to see systems come to the market that do this. So I think those are all really good. And the other point that I will echo, and, and this is something we've talked about on past webcasts as well, is this idea of, of, of what happens in the room before the meeting starts. Even when we were starting up this call before we hit the record button, we were bantering and joking and having fun and dealing with our technical setup as well. But but oftentimes that's the kind of human connection that you get as you walk into a room and see if anybody left you a bottle of water or any donuts or a Diet Coke or whatever you're having. And, and, and asking about someone's kids and what they did over the weekend. And we've learned through this entire process that top-down communication in companies works really well on these technologies. But peer to peer communication doesn't and we crave those impromptu what's going on with my friends and colleagues kind of things so the remote part we're gonna have to figure out how to make the remote participants feel a part of that conversation somehow when when there are going to be so many people working remotely so yeah, I, I mean that's one of the things that concerns me the most actually this this inability to build maintain and strengthen social capital it's before the meeting, it's after the meeting, it's between the meetings, it's when we're doing work together impromptu. I mean, we have tools and technology that can tell me that, yes, David's available right now, but when I start to message him and say, hey, you have a minute, I've already lost that immediacy. Now we're going into an immediate plan discussion, right? Just that change right there changes the dynamic. And those are the things that are going to be very difficult to address with technology. And it's not going to be cameras that fix it. It's going to be people communicating and working differently. That's really hard to change. Well, I, I've, I've said for a long time, and I, and I know you've been involved in these conversations as well, it's very difficult because when people, you know, when you think about, you know, Yahoo and Marissa Meyer and IBM and Patrick Pichette and all the people in the history who've done the naysaying all this, they're describing where they work as the corner hardware store. As, as the Home Depot or, or, or the Whole Foods or whatever, where everybody's working in the same building all the time. And the reality is that's not life. My colleagues, I'm in New Jersey, my colleagues are in California yeah. and in Chicago and in Dallas and in London and yeah. in Tokyo. And, and I couldn't have that kind of interpersonal conversation with them unless we all decided to work at a hardware store in the same city. So I think we've given up some of those cultural pieces to be a global uh, um, um, world, you know, a connected world anyway. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm much more open to the technology stepping in in a case like that. By the way, not to, not to monopolize, but there, there are pods of socialization and then there are pods of lack of socialization for a lack of a better term, right? People who work remotely are used to it. People who work in the office are used to and need and frankly, they they blossom with that socialization. That's the concern. I'm sorry, Caroline, go ahead. No, I was, I mean, I think that the conversation we're having is proof that you're gonna have different people doing different things, right? And you're gonna have to accommodate everybody because, yeah. I, you know, I, we were chatting about this earlier. I wanna go back traveling. Do I wanna travel as much as I did before? No. You know, I love people. I, I miss, you know, the, the personal interaction in offices, face-to-face -face meeting and all of that. But I see the pluses of now doing meetings this way, where it's not just the voice. I can see faces and, you know, on video as tiring as it might be. I think there's a lot to gain. What I think is important to your point about, Ira, um, about, you know, the socialization aspect is that right now we are back to back to back to back to back to back. So I want to get on, I want to get it done, and I want to get off and move on to the next thing, right? So part of that is understanding how you run a meeting and what, what needs to be a meeting and what needs to be an email or a chat or something else, right? So that mm -hmm. there is the time to chit chat. There is, and it's not 
you know, it's not a waste of time. It's actually connected in, in a human way. But we don't, for some reason, that is acceptable in a physical environment, but it's not yet quite acceptable in a virtual environment. And things have changed a little bit during COVID because, you know, we have kids being home while we were trying to work and their dogs and everything else. And thank goodness we're a bit more human. But that's what is going to be important not to fall back into, okay, we are virtual. It needs to be efficient. No, it needs to be human too. Okay, Carolina, while you were talking, <clears throat> I really wanted to get up out of my chair and walk over to the whiteboard on the side of the room and start making circles. Here's the circle of how we communicate on a phone call. And here's the circle of how we communicate on an email. And here's the circle on a voicemail. And here's a real meeting. And I'm a visual thinker. And I have a I have an old board sitting next to me. I hope it doesn't crash during the, the conference. I used to be able to connect it with my phone and attach it to the meeting. That yeah. hasn't worked for a long time. Uh, but But we've not solved the problem of doing that remotely. And yes, there are at least 30 products, the ones that I work, company I work for included, that have a product that, that let you remotely draw together and whiteboard together and, and switch. But, but, you know, none of the, we, we'd all rather puke than have to use any of these tools. They just haven't <laughs> come across to the way we need, unless we're all remote and all using them at the same time. Yeah. Um, the, the, the other example is that, that we can look at technology as futurists and see what we can do to help. And it gets scary, it gets into the creepy factor. I'll give you an example. In our labs right now, and this isn't NDA, at least I don't think it is. Um, in our labs right now, we have the ability, I've heard other people say it, so I know I'm safe. We have the ability that if everybody's sitting in a real room, looks over at a whiteboard, there's enough face, face detection and, and AI in the cameras to say, 90% of the people just looked at the whiteboard, switched to the whiteboard. But if we do that, people get all freaked out. It's like, ooh, what's going on? It's creepy. I don't want to know that people are happy or sad or looking one way or looking another way. How do we solve this problem of being visual thinkers, of writing, of sharing, of collaborating together to, again, make it equal for the person that's remote and the people that are in a room, teachers, students? How does the remote student come up to the board and answer a problem? Yeah, I think for me, you know, it's, it's the meeting doesn't start at the meeting, right? There's, uh, to your point before, David, like, there's all these other stuff that the pre-plan, like we had a discussion before we you know, started, started this meeting here. And so how do you have the integration of all the different points of technology, right? Whether it's a, a chat room, right? Uh, uh, other, uh, other collaborative tools that's integrated with the meeting you know, technology that can have sort of more of a community building aspect where you can actually be collaborating before and maybe it's an ad hoc jump to a meeting. So what's the, the technology around the actual meeting experience that actually causes that continuum of collaborative experience? But you still didn't answer my whiteboard question. <laughs> how, do, how do we solve it? I'll jump in. I think the first thing you need to think about is we never needed to. So that's number one. It makes it sound like we've been doing this wrong. The reality is we didn't need to before. Right? I'm going to go back to my point before, and I know Carolina doesn't like it. We had different types of participants and the people in the room they were blessed enough to have the physical board there and maybe we took a picture of it and sent it. So this is a, you know, I hate to say it, but um, we haven't had the need to develop it and the need to change how we work, so therefore we didn't. Now we have the technologies, and finally we have people recognizing that the loss of this creativity is a major loss, and we need to address it. So my hope is people will start to look at it instead of dismissing it and saying, well, it's expensive, who needs it? That's my hope. I go back to the point that Caroline, uh, Carolina made earlier, which was what should be a meeting, what should be done in a meeting, and what might be better done elsewhere. And I think that's what we haven't figured out. I would argue that pre-pandemic, we tried to solve every problem in a meeting, and we've all sat in those meetings going, why is this a meeting, and why is it 60 minutes long? That's and, right. And then what happened was we went into a pandemic where we were quarantined. So then we pushed everything to a virtual meeting where it was scheduled and everything was linear. And so as we move to a hybrid environment, we also need to make that not just meaning that some people are remote and some people are in person, but that certain content is handled in certain forums and certain content is, is handled in other forums. So I think that uh, you know we, we need to stop thinking that every meeting should be the end all be all and that everything is decided in, in the in this meeting. 
Yeah, I think part of your problem, uh, David, as far as where is the technology and what, it's not like necessarily the technology is not there, but you start to start thinking about operating systems, right? So is it proprietary versus is it open? Uh, well, can everybody, you know, on a phone and a PC and a Mac and everything else contribute to that whiteboard? And that's where the technology is there, but the business models are not. Um, and, and you get into the complexity and to the points that all of us were making earlier, it, it cannot be difficult, right? I, it, it can't be that difficult. My hope is that a lot of our workflows have moved to digital. So the a lot of what we do now is more digital than it used to be. Think about even just the notes part, you know, the note taking during a meeting, translations and all these kind of things. Um, so I'm hoping that there's more there for us to work with. And, you know, if it works for Google Docs and if, you know, Office has managed to do Word and, and, and um, do that online and live uh, editing, why can we not do that with, maybe it's not a whiteboard, it's just a, a document that we're all working on at the same time from our PCs. Right now, I think that we're still in that limbo of certain things are kind of meeting room fit and some things are PC fit and they're not necessarily talking to each other. I think the other thing is we've had to adapt to the technology that we had available to us and it, and it still isn't natural yet. So we, we force meetings to happen a certain way because of the technology that we have available to us. That was true when we were in person using physical whiteboards and that's true when we went virtual and it will probably be true for some time until things until we have technology that adapts to the way we want to use it and the way we want to communicate but to, to carolina's point that she just made i think we've already seen some of those things take place it is now very common to have a, a chat conversation inside of a virtual meeting and to have side chat conversations. I think that was something that didn't feel very comfortable at first and we've, we've adapted to it. And I think that's something that you'll, you'll probably see even as we go to in-person, we'll text somebody on the side and that will be a side conversation. Well, and on we've the positive side, just a quickie on the positive side, we have tools today that you can access from any browser. So whether you want to do that on a large touch display, you want to do that from your cell phone, or you want to do that from your laptop or desktop, the, the tools are capable. It's just the people are not comfortable jumping into that, and they're more used to addressing these things out of band or in person. And we have to figure that out. And that's, again, that's that, that cultural work methodology change that frankly takes a lot of time. And I think COVID and the pandemic has forced or has compressed the timeline, but it doesn't mean we've learned it yet. That's the challenge. I think the other thing that COVID did was not give us an option, right? Because to the point that we were making earlier, a lot of these things have been around for a long time, and, but, but you know, the way we did it worked. So why think about it differently? There was no need. The other part that I would say is that as we start to be not just more hybrid as far as how we work, but our personal lives start go to go back on a normal schedule. I think that need of being in a meeting, uh, which is more fueled by the human need of contact versus actually anything that has to do with productivity will go away. So I think that naturally we will be better at deciding, you know, when we need to come together and when we don't. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of amplify a point we made a little earlier today because you know if if I could throw up a picture maybe I will in the edit of of a of a typical Star Trek Picard facepalm here I can't believe it's 25 years later and I'm still about to engage in a conversation with industry professionals about interoperability but what the hell here goes um, the um, we are about to hit a huge culture shock where people have been home for a year and a half getting an invitation to a meeting, grabbing their mouse, clicking a button and pow, you're in the meeting and they don't care what platform it is or what type it is or anything, unless you're geeky like us and you're trying to figure out how to get one of your nine cameras to connect or whatever. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's, it's not been an interest. And everybody, you know, again, I think less people are gonna go to the office full time. I think offices will be smaller. They'll be for collaboration events. There'll be more needed technology. The technology will be smarter. But the first time we walk into a conference room and somebody says, where's the meeting invitation to click? 
and it's not there, we're going to have many explosions across corporate America and the enterprise world, uh, you know, across the globe. We still haven't achieved interoperability. There are still walled gardens. The walled gardens will come to you and say, well, you can be interoperable, but you have to be on my platform and do it my way. Or there are still third-party companies out there that are saying, well, if you connect with us, we'll manage this interoperability for you in a cloud. Just pay us every month. And and then there are you know companies like you know like like mine that are building technology um, that's completely interoperable on whichever platform you want it to be. But it, many of those platforms don't want that. <laughs> they they want the users to be locked in. I think it's going to be a tremendous culture shock as people get back to the office and realize this higher quality, better stuff that we have in their enterprise conference rooms isn't going to be as flexible as clicking on a link for legitimate reasons. How do you guys think the world's going to handle that when it happens? I think that the world is not going to be like that for a very long, you know, for, for much longer because the way we work is different. And, and I think that the siloed work within your organization, but not when you're starting to deal with third parties. So if I have to connect with my customers, if I have to connect with my partners, they might be in a total, on a totally different platform. And so, you know, just holistically, when you're looking at how we work, even people that say they're, you know, their enterprise uh, kind of approved suite of productivity is office. Our data shows a great percentage of that, over 60% of that still use Google. Right. So you have already a mix of tools that people use, but more and more with back to my point about workflows being more digital than ever before, uh, you have to be more flexible. And I, I do think that a lot of technologies, to your point, David, that is in the office now will have to be replaced. So I can tell you what we tell our clients right now, right? Because this is a very common topic. People in various countries are coming back to the office and yes, they're trying to connect with the people they work with, both inside and outside the company. We tell people you should architect and optimize for the norm, but allow the exception. You can't create these closed worlds anymore. And maybe you could two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, but right now, if you're going to be a if you're going to be a team shop, a Zoom shop, a blue jean shop, or whatever it is, you should still allow that occasional or even less than occasional call to another platform. You can't tell your customer how to communicate. You can't tell your partners how to communicate. So optimize where you can, but, but embrace the rest. And you see the employees embracing it. I mean, to Carolina's point, they might be a dedicated on a dedicated platform, but they're using other tools. And why are they using those other tools? Because they work, because they're seamless, because That's they right. solve a problem that they couldn't solve with their existing suite of products. I mean, look at, as the pandemic hit, we saw a huge uptake of Zoom because it worked for what we were trying to accomplish. And then you saw a lot of other platforms trying to build in some of those technologies into their existing suite of products. So the, the user is always gonna move to whatever works, whatever solves the problem. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and the whole thing behind the whole transformation that we saw during the pandemic is that people will work, you know, how they want to work, right? And if they're forced to work one way, they'll do that. And so I think we're going to see, obviously, the push, you know, sort of a grassroots push to sort of change the interoperability, inter inter which has been a problem for Ever. I mean, I've covered, gosh, I, I just covered instant messaging, guys, right? <laughs> and you know, we've never experienced interoperability with anything, right? I mean, you know, uh, SAP versus Microsoft, and nothing ever worked together. So I think we're going to see a push towards interoperability, but it's going to be a dedicated intentionality with organizations that they're going to have to sort of figure out how do I build more towards a solution mindset and a solution framework where, you know, open APIs, you invest in tech that's more open than before. Well, there's, a, there's an infrastructure API and strategic way of doing it. And then there's a bring your laptop, do what you want, and I'll stay out of your way approach, right? The BYOD, BYOM approach, right? And that is what we will see and what we are seeing in the short and medium term. We can't, we can't re-architect everything. We can't change every room. It's not going to happen in the next three months. But everybody's used to clicking on their laptop. They schedule their own meeting. They click and start the meeting. They run the meeting. So maybe it's not the walk in the room and click experience. It's the walk in the room, connect my USB cable and click experience. So I've added a step, but I massively expanded the flexibility of my, of, of my calling. 
I, I, I think that you're going to see, and again, I'm, I'm predicting here, and this is just for my own personal opinion, I think you're going to see people so afraid of touching things when they come back to the office that they're really only going to want to interact with the stuff that they brought with them. I think that, plus where the technology is exploding, is really going to make the smart device, the smartphone, be the UI for everything that's in the world. It'll be our control window, it'll be our calendar, it'll be whatever. It has all that information on it. What we haven't developed is that easy-to-use bridge that goes from any platform and any device to whatever happens to be in the room so that we can do that. There, you know, there, that is something you can do with, with, with a Microsoft Teams call. That is something you can do to a certain extent with a Zoom call. People are starting to go there. We're seeing the signs of it, but I think there's going to be more of a universality around how that works because I'm only going to want to touch my device. If there's a touch panel in the room, unless you've sprayed it with alcohol, I don't want to go near it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that just uh, proximity of people, right? I, I might be in the office, but I'm still more comfortable being at my desk than not being in a room that is smaller with, you know, 10 people. Um, and I think that that idea of not knowing what is going to happen next, we were so unprepared uh, last year, nobody's going to make the same mistake again, right? And so thinking about future-proving our experience is going to be critical, and, and people will think more about what if happens you know, again, what are we going to do? And it's true that it's more complicated to go back to the office than it has been to take everybody out and have them to work at home. You would think we wouldn't make the same mistakes again, but I always go back to that Churchill quote that every once in a while mankind stumbles across the truth, but they typically get up and keep walking. Um, it's it's uh, I, I still think we're going to see dual power supplies plugged into the same outlet for a long time coming. But that, that that's just me. That's that's human nature and, and my cynical uh, take on it. All right. Now I'm going to be completely unfair to the four of you. And I don't know this is probably not going to come out really well on video, but but because I don't know who's going to go first or what we're going to say. But but let's stop being locked into existing paradigms. We talked about what's happening over the next few months. We talked about what's happening over the next 12 to 18 months, next couple of years. We've talked about technology realities that may or may not happen. Let, let's be futurists. Let's be visionaries. Let's not have a failure of imagination, um, as was blamed when, uh, when there were issues with some of our rocketry in the early days. What is the meeting room? Maybe it's not the Jedi Council. Okay, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy your argument on that one. What is the meeting room for ten year, in 10 years from now going to be like? What is the collaboration, the remote classroom experience going to be like? What pieces of technology may emerge? What, what, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Speculate. You know, the, the old New Yorker cartoon, Insert a Miracle Here. It's okay. I'm not making you make it work today. <laughs> but but, but what, what, what are we missing? What should we be working on to really bring this equality, this parity of experience? What should the technicians and the engineers be working on now? Who wants to volunteer and go first? I'll go first because I want to go back to your initial picture linked together um, equity and, and then tell you the problem, <laughs> which is that, you know, connectivity is the first thing we need to fix now. Um, you know, that was uh, a huge issue, especially for education uh, in 2020. And yes, 5G is coming, but 5G has limitations when you're talking about indoor 5G. What is, I think I'm super excited about is that there are solutions and there's going to be disruption from a broadband perspective as mobile carriers are coming into the broadband market for fixed broadband. So that's the first thing that I think I would like to see. The other part is, Starting with connectivity, um, we need to think of solutions that are not going to be extremely expensive because otherwise, you, you know, you're not going to have everybody. And so, uh, you know, your, your counsel with the hologram, I actually had a few experiences using HoloLens. Um, and I actually, I liked it. I, you know, I can see where we are going. But if we think that doing what we are doing now with a video and a, and a, and a mic and, and learning new social forms, going virtual is a whole different thing. You know, I've been at events where I was standing with people next to me and I was super paranoid. I kind of went the way I would do it in a normal life, right, in real life and went and 
kind of stood in a corner with my back against what looked like a wall so that I wouldn't have people show up next to me. You know, there, there's so much and, and people don't realize the strain from a brain perspective in making that work and, and how, because they're so immersive, how much personal this is and, and creepy um, if you don't do it right. So it's not a question of just money and affordability, which is absolutely critical. But, you know, if you're, if you're wondering if you know you can have a me too movement for uh for virtual yes you can because there are things especially when the environment is more personal that feel creepy I, I, you know i do see there's there's um there's a um, uh, opportunity in in that technology but the learnings from a personal perspective are going to be uh huge and then the cost is not going to be affordable Good points, David. Yeah, I think for me, you know, what and I sort of was mentioning this a little bit before. I think it's going to be more so the integration of everything, right? You know, where you know, again, it's the meeting stuff, right? It's the the sort of the team room capability. It's all these capabilities. How do they come together in an elegant way? You know, that sort of creates even back to your point that semblance of you know the community, that semblance of a conversation environment. You know, where the meeting part, the the async collaboration part, is just a part of the continuum, right? And so that's what I think we're going is how do you have a full, more integrated solution that enables people to be an extension of their physical selves in the digital round so the oasis ready player one that's what we're all going to be doing is putting on these, uh, get it, getting it all in one thing it's, it's certainly so, a possibility i can tell you what i think is coming i think we're expecting these generic meeting rooms to handle 25 different use cases and to do it beautifully and to do it continuously and just to you know first it's a impromptu meeting between colleagues next it's a big presentation and next it's a training session i think we're going to see more purpose-built statements that are optimized around specific use cases. Now, that means those spaces may not be perfect for every use case, and that's fine, but we will have a good, easy to use, and relatively cost-effective space that is great for ideation and brainstorming, or is great for hosting webinars, or is great for that interview meeting. And we're gonna do those kind of spaces and we're going to put tools in there that empower those use cases, whether they're software apps, displays, cameras, whatever. That's what we're going to do there. And then I also believe that because we're going to have more spaces and some of them defined for specific uses, we're also going to have more impromptu spaces where somebody from the finance team says, we've got a monster audit coming up. Can somebody please build us a room over there? We'll use it for the next three weeks and these spaces will pop up. And we're seeing clients do this. You call us, 24 hours later, you'll have a space, right? Those kind of things give you the impromptu, the dynamic, the, the, the scrum efforts that people do in real time and close them out when you're done. And these are changes that address our new way of working, who's in the office and who's not, and what I do all day. That's what I expect to see. So our, our meeting rooms are the holodeck. They're, they're completely shapeless, formless rooms until there's a need that comes up for them. And then there are five or six or 10 or 12 types that meet the purpose exactly as required. And then when I'm done with them, I break them down again and somebody builds them up again from a kit, from a, from a pile of gear that's ready and people who know how to do it in two hours, build it and done. That's a new cool. way of working. Sean, it's appropriate that you're our futurist. You get to go last here because you can tell us all the blind spots that we've been missing. What, what's your take on this? What's, what's coming out in the uh, more distant future? Well, when I, when I step back and I look at humans, we've been interacting in person for thousands of years. So, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, our digital history is quite short. And I think we are still getting used to how we want to interact in the digital world. So if you look at younger generations uh, today, they are all about simultaneous media consumption and toggling between uh, video feeds so they could be playing Minecraft and watching YouTube video while Minecraft is loading. Uh, they, they are very comfortable in moving across uh, different different media files. Where what, What's interesting though is to look at how, how much they struggled 
when we moved their classrooms online and how they didn't feel comfortable asking questions. And so there's an interesting gap that I think we need to figure out is why can these younger generations who are, are clearly digital natives and very comfortable consuming massive amounts, uh, massive amount of digital information, not feel comfortable interacting in a digital environment. And so when we solve that, that's when we'll solve how these digital interactions will, will take place. I would argue that, that right now, even for, for most of us, what we do in a digital space is forced upon us because of the limitations of the tools. I see meetings, as I, as I already mentioned, that are very linear in nature. I'll speak, then you speak, then someone else speaks. And that's not how meetings take place in a physical space. And so some of that will be a cultural shift, but some of it is developing new tools that adjust to the way we w want to naturally interact. And to Ira's point, maybe the, those are, you know, maybe the tools are set up in the moment. They're set up in advance, and over time those tools will get better, the setup will be quicker, the breakdown will be quicker, and so we'll be able to, to adjust. Uh, you know, to your, to your reference, David, of Ready Player One, my kids fully anticipate that's how they'll shop in the future, that they'll put on VR goggles and they'll go into yeah. a virtual shopping mall and they'll be able to wander around, they'll see their friends, they'll be able to, to be whatever avatar they want to be, and they'll interact in a very natural and intuitive way. Uh, but if you look at what we did for, for classes, many of them didn't feel that way, so we're definitely not there yet. Yeah, and we've actually had a couple of conversations um, on, on this program specifically about education and why distance learning, which is something I've been involved in for decades at this point, really has been perceived to be a failure due to the pandemic. Um, and it's and it's actually not fair because uh, this is the last point that I'll make in that um, when when distance learning classrooms used to be very complicated, very expensive with programs built for them. And and when we told everybody, you're going to go home for a month and then turned into two and then it turned into five, everybody was trying to port actual classroom education into these digital platforms. And we know from a technology standpoint, that doesn't work. When television first came out, uh, you know, in the 1950s, there were people reading radio scripts on television and it was terrible <laughs> television because it's a new medium and it requires a new message. Absolutely. Digital learning requires di different content. And we'd never given ourselves the ability to create that content during this pandemic because we always thought, we'd always prayed that we were just about at the end of it. So we definitely are going to need the opportunity to step back and figure out how will we use these classroom technologies um, and, and these meeting technologies in a way that we didn't think of before. So I'm hoping we can take credit for starting that conversation on this show. Guys, thank you very much. That was really awesome. Great thinking. I'm going to go around to each one of you one at a time and, and let people know how they can get in touch with if they want to get more information from you or find out where you are, or who you are. Carolina, why don't you go first? We'll go in the same order as before. You can find me on Twitter most days at uh, Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanesi, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. I have a regular column on Forbes where I talk about uh, social impact of technology and uh, I am often found on Fast Company as well. Thank you very much for joining us. David, how about you? How does somebody reach out to you? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Dave Mario, D-A-V-E-M-A-R-I-O. Uh, email Dave at InfluAnalysis.com, and you'll also catch me in my YouTube channel, Inflow TV, doing shows like this, you know, where I talk to different people. So, awesome. <laughs> there you go. I'll follow your YouTube channel. You follow mine. Ira, how does somebody reach out to you? Sure, you can catch me on Twitter, at, and it's at iWeinstein. That's I-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. I'm on LinkedIn. Go on our website. That's ReconRes, ReconRes.com, and click Contact Us. Happy to chat with you. Terrific. Thanks very much. And Sean, how would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to? I'm Sean Dubrivec on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. So one day when we're all <laughs> meeting in the Oasis, you'll find me there as Sean Dubrivec. You're not going to be Percival? I thought that would be... Uh... 
how, how you would do that. Um, guys, thank you again very much. This is a terrific show. Um, I'm your host, David Danto. I'm the one of only two David Dantos on uh, on LinkedIn. One is a distant cousin that works up in Canada and deals with you know <laughs> psychology. So if it's if it's not you know the, the 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 indigenous people of Canada, then you know you got me. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else. So thanks very much for for AV Nation TV and for the IMCCA. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you on our next episode.